comics before the advent of the Silver Age. Thanks for tuning in to the Comics in Motion Network. Before we get started, remember you can follow the Classic Comics Show on Twitter at ComicsLloyd or contact the show via email at ClassicComicsNBL at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at MattB underscore Lloyd and at DCComicsNews.com where I'm assistant editor and write reviews. In the notes section, you can find the Amazon link to Black Panther and Philosophy, What Can Wakanda Offer the World, the Black Panther book to which I've contributed. And you can also check out my chapter in Politics in Gotham, the Batman Universe and Political Thought, co-authored with Ian Drake. Additionally, my co-author Ian Drake and I have turned in the first draft for another volume on Batman, Arkham Souls, the villains and villainesses of Gotham. I don't have a publication date for this yet. I'll be sure to share more when I can. Currently, there's a search for a new publisher for the project, so hopefully there'll be some positive news on that front soon. On to the show. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. New show on the Comics in Motion Network comes to you from Matthew B. Lloyd of Classic Comics. Earth 2 in the Bronze Age. Imagine twin Earths, each the image of the verdant globe on which we live. Imagine these two worlds forever separated by a limbo of interdimensional space. Identical planets evolving separately across the millennia each witnessing the birth of man, then the dawn of civilization. And finally, the beginning of the age of superheroes. On one world we'll call Earth 2, the superheroes begin to arrive in the early part of the 20th century when a rocket ship brought the star child Kal-El to safety. Kal-El begins his career as Superman in the early days of World War II as the first of the great heroes. Soon he was joined by other heroes, and they joined forces to form the first super team in history, the Justice Society of America. Thus the two worlds knowingly coexist, one inhabited by the familiar Flash, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and other heroes of the Justice League, and the other Earth by the original superheroes. These are the legendary members of the Justice Society. <laughs>
Bronze Age. Available only on the Comics in Motion Network. Found wherever your podcasts find you. Welcome to episode 34. I'm so happy you have joined me for this episode. Today I have a guest, the spark to the flame of the Comics in Motion Network, Mr. Dave Horrocks. You, of course, know him from his reviews of Chris Phelps, Tinder to His Flame, from both Comics in Motion and Back to the VHS. And you, of course, also know him from many theory music and CD with Tony Frina and last episode's guest, Max Byrne. Dave, how are you today? I'm very well, Matthew. And thank you for that lovely introduction as well. You've been listening to Max Byrne. Clearly, you guys have the best intros. <laughs> well... <laughs> I guess I'll just say I took it as a subconscious challenge after hearing uh, his uh, his intros. I uh, I like to do the same kind of things with words, so it was definitely uh, inspirational. And I figured uh, I had to make some uh, flame puns with the Human Torch as our topic today. <laughs> no, that's very good. Uh, not sure about the Tinder bit. <laughs> well you do that love island episode thing don't you I do, also? I do, yeah, yeah. That's, that's why i was scraping a nerve it's a particularly bad season at the minute but <laughs> well i don't i don't know what exactly it is but i figured there was a little subtle uh a subtle reference to it so i had to uh I had to work it in if i could you know <laughs> well dave th thanks for joining me um uh i really appreciate it uh today uh you and i are going to discuss uh the first star that timely comics produced of course the company that would become marvel comics uh the uh golden age human torch first appeared in their very first comic marvel comics number one dated october 1939 um a couple months ago i did an episode just on that issue uh Human Torch would appear in all 92 issues of the title before it changed genres and, of course, also titles to Marvel Tales, uh, the volume one of Marvel Tales. It continued on with number 93. Number 92 was cover dated June 1949. Um, he also appeared in his own title, Human Torch Comics, issues 2 through 38, uh, notably because there's uh, not really a first issue. Uh, number 2 continues from uh, Red Raven Comics, which only had one issue uh this kind of thing happened a lot in the golden and silver age uh and now it's all new number ones but it also created the strangeness of two issue number fives known as 5a and 5b and uh issues number 36 to 38 were a short-lived 1950 rev uh, 50s revival in 1954 though still golden age so it's still uh something we can talk about pre-night pre-showcase still pre-showcase and he had a number of uh other appearances that I'm going to, instead of rambling on about because I'm doing all the talking, uh, I'll just put them in the notes. So if anyone's interested, uh, they can track down all those appearances. But my first question for you, sir, is, well, first, thanks for agreeing to speak about the Golden Age Human Torch. I wasn't sure who would want to, uh, but I'm so happy someone did. And what's your history with the character? Where did you first come across him? So this might be a little bit of a, a long-winded explanation, to be honest. So I that's, would say that's my, okay. It's... Yeah, <laughs> we're in the right medium for that, aren't we? We so are. My kind of comic book background, I, I guess I've had three starts at being a comic book reader. So when I was a, a young, right, the other thing I'll say is because I'm old as well, as, as a lot of us are, <laughs> I, I realized a little while ago that modern day marvel you know with fantastic four number one and everything is uh if i look backwards like to me because i was born after that time it might as well have been 
Roman times or Vikings or something like that. You know, it's so long ago. But now when I read comics, I'm thinking, well, from the point I was born, it's shorter to go back to the birth of Marvel than it is to get to here. And I'm like, oh, fucking hell, I'm old. Um, <laughs> but but basically, I would say those three jumping on points. The first one was when you weren't... Re- I wasn't really conscious of different mediums and, and everything. Just early memories of people giving me like Spider-Man comics and things like that and all sorts of different comics. And... One and the second one was probably I was about 12, 13 and started reading them again. And even then, coming up against people who were like, What the hell are you doing? Comics are for kids. And I think back now, and I'm like, Well, before you're 12, you're not getting what most of the stories are about. You know, I love the X Men in that particular uh, iteration, and, and there was no way I was understanding what was going on there. Still holds up tremendously well love him and then uh, probably about mid 2000s uh, again you know i kind of i dropped out of comics life got in the way and everything and then just picked them back up again and, and haven't looked back since but in that first iteration again there was being in the uk there was marvel uk so you got reprints of the american comics but you didn't tend to get many american comics and of the american size and everything so you'd get Marvel UK reprints, but also there was a, a thing called Eagle Comics as well, which had like Dan Daring and things. And there, there was a lot of like war stories, you know, going back to the the uh, the Nazis. I mean, they are just the best villains, aren't they? And <laughs> so, you know, so many stories about that. But one of the comics that I remember having and absolutely loved and read to death obviously got rid of all the comics years and years ago would have would have disintegrated anyway through reading was the invaders i had a few invaders stories and i think i have a love for the invaders that probably exceeds most people because i don't think it's that popular i mean even if you look on ebay you can still pick up the issues pretty cheaply Whereas, you know, some of the more popular issues, you know, you, you, you'd have to remortgage your house. And I just loved that idea. You know, you had Namor, you had Captain America, you had the Human Torch and Toro. And I just thought that was such a cool thing. It just really captured me. Now, when, you know, a parent or other adults like uncles and things would buy me comics, they'd always gravitate towards Spider-Man. And obviously he does look cool and, and and he is cool. But as a kid, I was like, it was almost cliche. Even as a kid, I felt like Spider-Man was a bit too cliche. And I was always drawn a bit more to the invaders. And then when I came into reading, not so much in that second iteration of, of reading comics, but the third one, and I it, it kind of joined up with those early childhood memories. And I started to think, why did they get rid of this guy? Because, you know, and, and basically, you know, Stan, sorry, but you screwed him over really because you just created <laughs> this new character, which is the same character, but a different person. So you put the nail in the coffin of this guy. Then they did the whole vision thing. And it's like, oh, you bastards. Like, so I've, I've always I had in bit- our conversation, we would talk about how he's overshadowed by Johnny Storm. Yeah. Yet he's the original without this one. There is no Johnny Storm. Exactly. You know, 
Yeah, and I, I just thought, I mean, from, from Marvel, I thought, you know, the Human Torch, and Toro is like a little matchstick in the background usually, but, <laughs> you know, so I wasn't as, as taken with him, but I just thought the artwork was fantastic as well. And so for Marvel, I, I was always sort of drawn towards him. I remember for DC, I must have had a fire thing going on when I was a kid, but it was Firestorm. I remember seeing Firestorm. Oh, okay. thinking, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my God, that is so cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, but that's a little bit of a long-winded one, but probably there aren't many people who, who have love for this particular character. And, and like I say, it's from those very, very early i wouldn't even say structured memories of anything it's more like yeah, feelings yeah. that that I had back then yeah. well i'm a i'm a little older than you and my my uh, introduction to the character is is quite similar in that i'm 99.9 percent sure the first time i ever read a comic with the golden age human torch was invaders number one when it was brand new in 1975 because nice. This dog-eared copy has got tape on the side. It has been read. I remember reading this thing over and over and over and over. And when I reread it for the show, I was just remembering certain images and certain lines from it going, oh, yeah, I remember that. Is this where that's from? Oh, that's where that girl's from. I remember her. It's like, wow. And I had a similar uh, – uh, I guess a feeling about the uh, the characters and the grouping together like that, and of course I knew who Johnny Storm was in the Fantastic Four at that point when I got that comic, but something about that version just seemed I don't know more significant or interesting, and in that he's I, I don't know how long it took me to figure out he was an android. I didn't quite get that at first. I don't think as a kid. But then as I, you know, got more comics a little bit later on, I realized, oh, he's an android. Weird. Yeah. Huh. You know, <laughs> trying to put all the pieces together, you know. And uh, I, I, knowing he's the first, he's he, uh, for Marvel, he's that much more important. And to think that at one point when you said the Human Torch, this is who you people thought of was this golden age version and not johnny storm you know like uh, like my parents my dad remembered reading the human torch as a kid you know he was he's he was old enough to have gotten these when he was a kid mm -hmm. and uh he he knew who he was so the johnny storm character wouldn't have ma made any sense to him you know he would have been reading comics in the 60s but he sure as heck knew who the golden age human torch was and captain america and Submariner and uh all those other guys you just mentioned in the uh, uh, in, in your story, so it's uh, it's really uh, I don't know, it's, a, it's a lot of it's the same for me. He's just there's something about him that's different and unique, and I think important. I think it's important to know that this is Marvel's first big star. He was the first Marvel character to get his own comic. He got mm. his own comic before Namor, and before Captain America was even introduced. You know. He Captain America started in his own number one, but Human Torch had already been around in Marvel Mystery, and uh, he'd already had his own series started. So, yeah, um, I think that covers some of the stuff which you like about him. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Storm is essentially he's a cover band, isn't he? Yeah. You know, it's like taking some uh, taking a classic from the Beatles and having it 
covered by new kids on the block or something. You know, I, I think <laughs> once you once you're exposed to the history, and yeah. and the funniest thing for me, I, I don't know if we're going to go into the kind of origins and stuff, but the fact that this scientist, you know, had created life essentially, you know, because he he very much acts like a human. You know, he, he has all the characteristics, and it's like. Oh, but the cool thing about him is he's on fire. But you created, <laughs> you created life, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I just think that's so cool. Well, um, let's uh, let's get into the origins then, because that's kind of where I wanted to start. But we got to mention his his uh his nickname first. Not his nickname, but his uh his his civilian name, his non superhero name, which is which is Jim Hammond. And I, I guarantee you that's not a, a name most people are familiar with. But the first time I ever heard it, there's a funny story I have to share. Um, the, uh, the original version of Trivial Pursuit from the early 80s, like 81, 82, one of the questions is about the Human Torch's real name. Oh, wow. And it's Jim Hammond. And that's the first time I'd heard that because I was because he's not really called Jim in those uh, old Invaders comics. He's usually just Torch or yeah. the Torch or something like that, you know. And uh, you don't really get that Jim Hammond name until you find certain old issues, and uh, and eventually he's called that later on in the modern era. Like now, I think if you picked up the most recent Invaders series. You know, he would be – they would call him Jim, you know, like yeah. if he, Namor, and, and Bucky were hanging out having drinks or something, they would call, you know, call him, you know, Jim. But uh, that's the first place I heard Jim Hammond. I was like, this is wrong. This, yeah. This is, this is not right about that. I, I, said, I thought to myself, did they somehow get the wires crossed and they're thinking of the first Spider-Man actor for the TV show, Nicholas Hammond? Yeah. That was that, – and <laughs> that is still friend, my thought. John Hammond? Yeah, maybe. Well, <laughs> that is still my first thought about that is how did they mess that up? But yeah, it's kind of a funny story. But let's look at the origin. Let's because his his uh his name doesn't come up quite uh quite initially or, or initially it's not till the uh the fourth issue of Marvel Marvel Mystery. We'll get into that at the very end too, which is kind of a strange story that I was able to do a little research on. Um, so. Dave, tell us about the Human Torch. What what can he do? What what kind of things does he does he do? Or and then we'll jump into the origin. We got to cover some of the yeah. The basics. Well, there's people who don't really know who just think Johnny Storm. You know, what's he like? He's a <laughs> yeah. So unlike Johnny Storm, you know, bombarded by cosmic rays, the Human Torch or Jim is a synthetic being, and so he's been created from these artificial materials. And basically, when he hits oxygen initially, he bursts into flames and everyone's like, oh, God, what's happening? And then, and then so they have to encase him and keep him away from oxygen and stuff. But uh, like I say, I just I do smile that, you know, they've just created this dude. I mean, he, he's more human <laughs> than Data off Star Trek, isn't he? Data doesn't really, well, he gets an emotion chip later on, but, you know, this guy can pass as a guy, you know, just, just in everyday life. But, um, yeah, what, what was really interesting, because I've never gone back and read those uh, early Human Torch issues until, you know, we, we said we'd do this a, a few months ago now. 
But basically, he can envelop his his body in this fiery plasma. Um, he can kind of throw flames and everything. He can even seemingly uh, throw little shapes and and basically, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, that was a new one that I I didn't even know that that he could do that before. But um, yeah, and fire these blasts, these fiery blasts. And, and I think there is a big crossover, isn't there? I mean, there's no way Stan Lee, you know, wasn't just saying right i'll take all of the the cool powers from you and i'll create this new guy called johnny storm you know so but yeah um and obviously he can fly as well so he flies about and stuff which creates this cool artwork you know where you see the flames just going across the sky so yeah yeah i uh i uh yeah same thing same thing i love the uh images of and you see the trail, like the cover to Invaders Number One, which is laying next to me now. He's he start his trail starts on the left. He hits one Nazi airplane, blows it up, and it's exploding. As he flies up and over another one, comes down through the middle of it, obviously disabling it, and is coming back up from the bottom of it. And it looks like he's throwing a a, a, a fireball, but you can't. Oh, and he's throwing a fireball at the nose of it also. Mm. So you can see that. And it's like there's just so much action and, you know, dynamic movement you can uh, show with those flames. And I don't know. I mean, there's something about something cool about being able to control fire, isn't it? I mean, that's just yeah, something. Isn't it? I mean, he... it's, a, it's a primal thing, you know, humans getting to be able to control fire. Yeah. You know. I, I like say back to Frankenstein. Don't worry, the whole way there's going to be a Frankenstein thread. Yeah, Frankenstein <laughs> book is also called the Modern Prometheus. Right, right. Stole fire from the gods and give it to ah, you. Of course, yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's a whole Frankenstein theme running through here. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think even in those, because obviously nowadays the coloring, you know, changed really through the sort of late 90s and 2000s so the coloring now just i mean looks so different but even in those you know late 30s that what they could do with mainly primary colors you know because because they have to color them and then they've got the sort of printing process as well they can't be too elaborate and given yeah, the, the yeah. tools that they had to create that that artwork i i thought it was amazing and um yeah, I'm so glad I, I, we went back to watch them. The, the only thing, really, I, I don't think the artwork dates it as much. The, the, but the thing that jumped out at me was the lettering. Oh, yeah. The lettering looks very uh, primitive, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you, you sort of think there's a, I'm being a little bit unfair. There's a guy in 1939, like <laughs> tiny little writing, you know. So the, the, it's, again, just the tools that they had. I bet it was Burgos. I bet Carl Burgos, who created the Human Torch and wrote and drew the uh, the first story and a number of stories. Mm. Uh, he stayed on to the character for a little while. Um, I think he did everything for the first story because it was part of that whole uh, Funnies Incorporated uh, shop uh, package that Martin Goodman bought for his comics. You know, back right. then there was these comic shops that would produce comics and you could be a publisher and, you know, contract with the shop. Hey, I need I want a comic, you know, produce all the stuff for me. And then you get the 
finished comic and you would put your name on it, even though you didn't have anything to do with the, the talent. That was a, a separate, you know, a separate company entirely. That's how uh, right. Will Eisner uh, started, you know, with Eisner and Iger and they started supplying quality. That's where quality comics comes from is right. a lot of those characters are mostly uh, Will Eisner creations, which is one reason why quality comics in the golden age was so good. It has such a good start with all those great artists and stuff. But, um, Funny Zink was who did uh, Marvel Comics number one. That was a guy named Lloyd Jacket, spelled like it's French, J A C Q E T. So Jacket, 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 Lloyd Jacket. How, how, how you talk to you? Yeah. But yeah, that's a good summary of that that first uh, the first part of that first issue. He's uh, he's created by Phineas T. Horton, and he is uh, he's seen as trouble. You're great. It's great to f that you're pointing that out. Your folk it kind of misses the point of this. Is a, a, he created life. Oh, but he's a problem. He's an issue. You know, he's going to burn everything down. <laughs> we'll he's just a, bury he's him. A, he's a menace. <laughs> you got to set him as uh, they wanted him destroyed. But yeah. I think, uh, but he was like, we can't destroy this. We'll figure out how to, I'll figure out something, you know. And, uh, and as, as this origin goes on in that first issue i really did this time more than any other time get a uh, a frankenstein kind of vibe from it um you know even almost to the fact his relationship with with horton he's you know horton has this one idea hey you're mine i own you you're you can do this for me and he's got his own uh you know own ideas about what's right and wrong and he's not going to be used by anyone because in that first story um you know he gets used by the uh the, the gangsters start out with yeah, his group yeah. and he's like and he doesn't understand he's like a baby in in that respect yeah you know very innocent and he doesn't understand everything that's going on but eventually he he figures it out and he's uh he's like uh you're not going to do this this is wrong and then uh, he has no compunction about about killing Sardo, though he's very happy to burn his house down with him in the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, I think the the um, it's very. I I don't don't. It's not even childlike. Uh, there's very much like a vengeance type of theme. Mm. It's like they're the bad guys. So therefore, it's okay, you know, to get my yeah, revenge, yeah. and that 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 makes me the good guy. And again, I I thought that was a you know a little time capsule. You probably wouldn't get away with quite the uh, the way he dealt out his vengeance. You you wouldn't get that from a uh, a hero because this isn't an anti-hero. This is just a pure hero. And uh, but he doesn't yeah. really know what he is. He's trying to. It's almost like a story, a story of self-discovery, yeah. trying to figure out what he's going to be. And he doesn't maintain that that killer instinct unless it's you know Nazis and, and Japanese later on. It but it, it's something it's that okay because it's war. It becomes <laughs> yeah. war. It's something else. You know, it's not just like I'm going to go, you know, burn some people to death for fun. Yeah. But it's it's it, it seems for the for the time it seems awfully complex mm, you know i agree you know from a from a, a big concept kind of thing and i think it's something else that can be very uh uh it can draw you to the character is that there is a complexity to it that you wouldn't normally get back then it, back then it was mostly you know 
good versus bad. Although when you delve into it a little bit, you know, Superman was kind of rough on some of the guys and his earliest appearances. Um, we talked about Namor. Namor's the first anti-hero and he's in the same issue for the first time. So you're like, wow, you know, what a stable of characters they, they were <laughs> creating. They weren't, they weren't going for a, uh, you know, white hat, black hat kind of, kind of dichotomy. It was all, there's, there's more to it. It's never really fully explored or developed, I don't think, in the Golden mm-hmm. Age. And uh, I think there's a lot left on the table still to this day that could be done with a character like the Human Torch. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and like I say, I, hand on heart, I hadn't gone back this far. And God bless Marvel Unlimited because, you know, you can go back <laughs> and read these comics, 1939, all the color looks great, pops off the screen and everything on the iPad. But um, obviously not the purest way of reading it, but I, I wouldn't be able to afford these things. But, um, yeah, I was I was surprised how you, you're right. I mean, early on, it is like a, a, a baby, you know, or, or not quite a, a man baby, you know, someone who's discovering. Yeah right and wrong for themselves you know no one's there really teaching them they're they're kind of going through they're making mistakes and i haven't gone back nearly as much i mean you you're this is your uh arena i don't tend to go <laughs> back this far but i guess I, I was surprised at how kind of uh complex the stories were and I guess this is all pre-comics code as well. So, you know, the fact yeah, that a few yeah. people are killed off surprised me a little bit uh, until I thought, well, I guess I guess it's pre-comics code. But I, th- I assumed it, it would be a little bit more childlike, but it wasn't. It was great. Yeah, um, and that was part of the thing that made me think about Frankenstein's monster is that, you know, He's created, he's off on his own, he runs away, and he's trying to figure things out, but naturally his instincts are to help, and it's only when other people see him and they don't understand that mm. he starts to get upset. And you know, in that first story, he's the Human Torch is on fire, racing in the street, doesn't understand anything. He's like, what's going on? Why am I on fire? This is terrible. I'm burning things up. These people are scared. They're afraid of me. And he's obviously seen as a menace. I mean, it's not hard to imagine the the villagers coming to get him and just wanting to destroy him, just like the monster, Frankenstein's monster, without seeing that uh, there could be more to it than that. Um, even if he's an artificial being, it still brings the same thing. Is it is it really life if you reanimate a corpse or a, you know, conglomerate of corpses as frankenstein's monster is supposed to be is that life is jim hammond the golden age human torch is he life if he's artificial and uh i don't know it just seems like there's so much complexity there and i just got a lot of frankenstein in it it's one of my favorite books so it wasn't hard for me to see it um Mm. i really uh i really i really saw it more this time looking at it critically i guess with one critical eye as opposed to just like, Oh, this is so cool. This is original stuff. You know, when I read it before I got to see it in a little bit of a different way. So that was really exciting to, to see that this time and get something more out of it. Um, But he's not seen as a monster for long because he actually gets uh, deputized by the police by the end of uh, what 
I think the third or fourth issue or something, his third or fourth appearance. It was something like that. I mean, it was very, very quick. And I, I think, wasn't it when he, he became the police officer was when the, the name Jim Hammond first appeared just out of nowhere. So he, he becomes part of the police out of nowhere. And then he, yeah. he suddenly called Jim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he was, he was trying to, uh, help somebody and they uh they mistook him for or he was trying to cover up who he was and he just like throws the name jim hammond out yeah uh about jim hammond <laughs> my name is jim hammond and they're like <laughs> oh well this is jim hammond guy blah 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 it's like where did this guy come from and uh i think once they figure out they, they figure out he's a human torch or the, the 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 chief of police or the commissioner whatever it is uh and they end up you know offering him a chance to work for the police or whatever. And I'm going to start blending memories because I did go back and reread that nineties series by Roy Thomas, the saga, the original human torch that fills in some of those gaps. So some of the stuff I'm remembering now is going to be, you know, Marvel Canon as opposed to what Mm. happened in that first issue. But uh, that, that was a good supplement to, uh, to those original uh those original stories um i will just say if i can jump in there though that, yeah i yeah. mean the the marvels series that came out in the mid 2000s with the yeah. alex ross artwork and when they i think it might be the first issue of marvels where they they tackle the human torch and again the the artwork is just to die for it's just so amazing and you see some of the you know when he runs out into the street and and the way it's drawn the way it's painted it just looks amazing it is it's one of my favorite books that one so and i know we we're not covering this one explicitly but i i just had to call that one out yeah but i mean that's the thing though this is a character that's been around since the beginning so he's part of marvel's history so it's only right that he pops up throughout the uh throughout the later years and recent mm. years when they go back and they look do something like marvels you've got to include the original characters and uh i mean that, that is a great retelling of that and that uh, that's a great series you know period and that's it it contextualizes all of the the history and puts it together so that it's you know it feels like one big story of a world where all these characters exist you know how does the golden age human torch live in the same world as captain america namor mm. spider-man the fantastic four that these you know he's been around since he's the first one but how does he exist amongst these other characters you know and over time you know they they do play with that um uh in the 70s and 80s and such they try to integrate him and his history more to i think give him a little more significance i guess but uh uh a couple times he seems like he's going to be gone and fade away into the past and but he keeps coming back which is good for us (laughs) absolutely um did uh what what else were you uh did you read any of the uh the crossover with namor and that battle they had or any of those issues no i, I sure focused exactly on the got to. i focused on the torch stories because i i knew i i wanted to t- focus on that 
And then I, I saw, because usually those uh, those books, like the first part of the book was about the Human Torch, and then the second was about Namor. And I kind of had a, a brief flick through, but I didn't uh, I didn't get to the battle, unfortunately. Um, the uh, battle with uh, Namor that runs in like Marvel Mystery 7, 8, 9 is interesting because it... Uh, you get to see Namor with uh, the 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 woman who is his his uh, pseudo love interest, kind of a love interest, mm-hmm. some kind of interest, uh, and she's a policewoman. Torches on the police force. They're clearly some kind of friends. They know each other, and I don't know. There's just a really interesting. I, I just see that as a. a like the like you could do a golden age style mo- a movie of the golden age versions of these characters and it'd be really good with you know with these characters and the relationships and the suggested complexity there's no real complex there's not enough done with it it's not really developed it's just kind of there but there's just so much there that could really uh be used and of course the fire and water thing with torch and namor is a natural yeah. uh a natural thing and they did it a lot early on until uh until i think they wanted to make sure everybody knew namor was a good guy and not a bad guy because <laughs> yeah they it's, tried really it's hard, awfully diff- it's awfully difficult to tell in the, <laughs> in the early namor stories um so we got uh we got the human torch we've got his origin uh but then he gets a sidekick pretty soon with uh human torch number two did you get to read that story yeah yeah yeah, yeah okay um it's kind of a crazy uh <laughs> there's just some flaming kid that shows up out of nowhere <laughs> yeah and i i didn't get to i'm sure it was retconned wasn't it i i think they retconned it later because like you say toro is just he, he's isn't he at the circus so and you know mm-hmm. as a lot of them are typically <laughs> but you know he, he just happens to spark up and you know jim it just goes and seeks him out and stuff and and so there was no real explanation and it's funny what you say about uh leaving stuff on the table because i i feel like i mean nowadays this would be a story that would run for several arcs wouldn't it over several <laughs> years it, they would decompress <laughs> the hell out of it and uh, yeah. just with what was what happened in the first five issues would happen over you know uh, two years or something, but it does yeah. seem like they they they're real in between each panel are giant leaps and and all these as Chris Claremont would say these threads that can be picked up later but just never are. But you're yeah. right. I, th- I think yeah. it, it is a, a rich kind of world that that. that could be explored you know if it, if it was set today if you look back at you know some of the like batman films and stuff they love to go back to that like post-depression time don't they you know they're they're mm-hmm. kind of late 30s and whatever and i think you could do the same thing what saddens me a little bit is i don't think you'll ever get to see jim hammond on the screen because everyone knows now johnny storm is the human torch you know they're they're worshiping well, technically the, Technically, we saw him in Captain America: The First Avenger. Oh he's yeah, not yeah, in action, you're right, you're right. but yeah, he's yeah. at the fair in the in the uh, in the cylinder, 
and Horton's synthetic man or whatever it says. Yeah, that, you're him. right. I He's forgot there. about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I, <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Well, I, I jumped out of my seat and was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I probably I probably screamed out loud and said, oh, thank you, George, you know, and embarrassed <laughs> anybody that was with me. Thankfully, I was by myself. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, that's so cool and thought, gosh, they've got it. They, they got to do something with this. this. It's there. It's part of the movie universe. There's no reason you can't go back and and tell a story they keep going back and telling other stories about stuff that happened in the past like you know carol danvers captain marvel that happened in the 90s there's no reason they can't go back and tell another story about uh about him and uh you know and do that develop that you know that would be cool very cool it would it would i think i think it would look great i think a period piece would be great for some of these comics even like a batman period piece or a superman period piece in the 30s and the 40s so something about the era when they were created that that they that fits well with with them and it makes sense because you know i mean you can tell a modern story of course but there's something about setting them in that era that somehow just works in a different way Maybe it's because I like those kinds of things. Cause I, because I like the original stuff. I like the uh, uh, the whole era. And uh, we're talking about this with the the Rocketeer um, review I did with Tony and, and Scott. So for me, I think it's just that I like things of that era. Uh, and comics started in that era anyway. So they just it just sort of naturally fits and it certainly fits the way my brain compartmentalizes things and puts things together. But uh but yeah. yeah. And I think again you you'll have to guide me a bit because again I going back to these human torch stories, I, I've been surprised at the the vengeance of them. But I have gone back ages ago. I went back to the original detective comics and Batman was quite brutal as well, wasn't he? And I just wonder. Yeah, yeah. Was it, was that the tone of the comics? Because you were coming out of the Great Depression. And essentially, you know, when people have, when there's mass unemployment, it was a, it was a terrible time. You generally have quite a lot of crime. And I wonder if the, the appetite from a lot of people was you know more about vengeance and punishing the criminals and people who are stealing stuff and and just no tolerance for for this going on it, it, it's just interesting that the flavor of the comics at that time just seemed to all be about dishing out some justice <laughs> i i think you're right i think you're right i think you're onto something there because uh you know that era we think of it we think about historically at least in america the you know gangsters and uh all prohibition and all that during the the great depression through the 30s and uh it's i i think it's part of the the culture and i think a lot of the, the creators of comics back then they were not you know you know high society folks they weren't posh they were far from it they were you know mostly immigrants and they were living a difficult life. They were scraping by with whatever they could do. Um, they uh, their experience is probably a lot a lot different than our our middle class uh, you know existence that we live in. Uh, for people like us, you know, we're reading these things for fun and stuff. But these uh, this experience is probably echoes or mirrors what these 
these creators went through as kids growing up. Uh, we know that, you know, Eisner does a lot of stuff from his own life and his work. And he grew up in a tenement in the, you know, the twenties. And he, that's the stories he tells. And he still pull those types of characters that he knew into his, into his work. And I can't think it would be any different, even if it's not nearly as, developed in you know in these stories as, as Eisner's work his later work you know it's it's the same kind of world they're coming from even uh you know the story about Jerry Siegel and his dad was a uh, a tailor that was killed mm, yeah, yeah like his dad was murdered and and so part of the whole Superman thing and there's one book I've read you know suggests that it's that's part of the fantasy is having that n- having the powers not to be able not to fall prey to that sort of uh incident with a a robbery gone wrong and a a murder and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah. so it's i mean you know we're not talking about superman specifically in this case but i don't think it's probably you know out of the question to think that other people experienced similar situations and we know that you know we know none of these people are you know you know art school you know highly educated people yeah, these are yeah. your average very average joe kind of stuff and it's not it just fits it fits and i think it it informs a lot of like you said uh the types of uh attitudes towards criminals and stuff because if these are the people that are working really hard to get by those those criminals they're just that they would have known it's not glamorizing crime because you couldn't have done that at the time you couldn't have mm. had a uh, a Godfather style comic where yeah, the yeah. criminals are the lead characters and doing these things to help their family and help the other people in the neighborhood. They were probably being drugged down by those people. You know, you're working really hard in your little shop on the corner to do everything you can and you get victimized by the gang yeah. in the area and think about how much that hurts your family. So, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think you're right on point with that. It's, it's, it is more vengeful. It is a lower tolerance. It's mm. it's a different attitude because it's the people that are probably affected directly by it, as opposed to uh, you know there's there's people joke about you know how come Batman's always saving uh you know uh, millionaires uh, you know diamonds from being stolen and stuff like that you know <laughs> it's like who <laughs> who's he looking out for the little guy or is he looking out for his millionaire friends you know but I think that's has more to do with you know the way you know crime was envisioned uh, yeah. for for a big score kind of a thing but yeah i mean the little guy is getting hurt as well and i think that's probably what a lot of these creators were experiencing of course this is all you know hypothesis based on you know reading and stuff but not reading any kind of uh you know oh yeah so so creator said this or that the only thing i know is the the jerry siegel story but yeah but yeah yep. yeah it's uh, it's interesting it's interesting what did you think about the uh, dynamic between Toro and the Torch in the in the comics as, as it starts to go along? So what I found uh, amusing, I guess, is some of the uh, approaches to uh, is it capital punishment where you, you know Toro's misbehaving himself or stepping out of line? Right, come over <laughs> here. Gonna give you a bit of a spanking. <laughs> no, it's not even his child. I, I, I just had to laugh because, you know, in today's society, you can't 
touch your kids uh, you know you can't discipline them in a, in a physical way at all and I, I just thought it was amusing to go back to a time because let's face it I mean uh, probably that is a very recent thing where we've got a bit more um, aware of you know parenting it, it doesn't have to be you know physically throttling your child but you know, I, I know certainly um, growing up, I, you know, so I was born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, really. But, you know, it, being disciplined in a physical way was just normal by your parents. Yeah. Because so it is fairly um, now I don't know if it's a straight line about how severe that punishment would be, you know, if it, if every decade if you go further back, it, it got even more severe, but yeah, it was just funny to, to go back and, and see that. And then when, you know, uh, Toro goes off, you know, because he, he thinks, you know, these other guys are, have got his back and stuff and, you know, he ditches the torch really quite quickly. So, you know, again, it, it's one of these where I was just looking at it saying it's a really fast story you know every panel jumps it's a leap but yeah I, I just i couldn't help but smile and and you know again be appreciative that it's this time capsule clearly you know it doesn't it's not a comic that would be released today but isn't it great that no. you've got these things to look back and and just see how different kind of attitudes change yeah yeah have Batman story that's got the same plot where Dick Grayson's like got relatives or show up or whatever and uh and he leaves Batman and for the same kind of you know dubious reasons right and here this the Tor Toro's fan your parents are still alive and he believes it okay <laughs> it's I, like I, it's like that bam <laughs> I had a, a nagging doubt that I'd read this story before actually but I knew I hadn't I wonder if if it's from that from the Dick Grayson stuff. Yeah, it's in like the second Golden Age Batman volume. Right. You know where right. they, they there's a couple different collected you know uh, series they've done, but the one with it's just called the Golden Age Batman, and it's like a first couple of years. So it's 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 still going on, but it's the second volume. I think there's a story. It's almost exactly like it. I thought it was funny. It's like wait a minute. Did the same guy write it or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or did they just see it, or they just had the same idea because it was a, another, uh, uh, you know, another sidekick story. Um, I do like the length of some of these stories we get, like in the first uh, uh, couple issues of the Human Torch, or not the first. The first is like only one story, but as we go along, you know, it's like forty pages, like a forty-page story. It's incredibly long with lots yeah. of twists and turns and meandering stuff. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I just, I, it's so different from what I'm used to from the golden age with the, you know, a short story from six to eight pages or even like a longer 12, 13, 14 page story. Mm. This is, you know, 40 pages. And some of those issues with the Submariner, it's the whole issue. It's yeah. like 60 pages of, uh, of a battle. It's like, Holy mackerel. I'm glad you said that because I was a little bit surprised going back as well. I'm like, Bloody hell! These go on for quite a while. So, but I again, I because I don't often go back. Like say, I, I think Tony. So Tony Farina went back to watch the uh, watch to read through the old Batman's, and I thought, oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do that as well. 
I didn't get as far, but you know, went through the first couple of dozen. And uh, but apart from that, I haven't really gone back to this point in time. And I, I was surprised at just how much you would have got for your money back then. You know, you got oh, a yeah. whole lot of story in your comics. So yeah, unbelievable stuff. And because they're not decompressed, you feel like you're getting even more. Yeah. I mean, the store, there's like, like the, the actual like content, there's just so much more. Um, and, and it feels much grander and epic as opposed to, you know, the way you now it takes, like you said, six, eight, 10, 12 issues for some of the stuff that you would get in one story here. One 12 or 13, 13 page story. That's a story arc today. And, yeah. you know, five or six issues. It's, it's so different. Even like, uh, uh, young allies comics, uh, the, the, the golden age book where Bucky and Toro teamed up with some other, you know, non-powered characters. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first issue of that, it's a full length story. It's the entire comic. Yeah, and yeah. they go, they go, you know, over all the first four issues are like that. Actually, I forgot the, the volume and it's all, they're all like that. They're going overseas and here and there. And it's just, there's so much to it. I mean, that would have been like a real adventure for a kid in 1940, 1941, flopping down 10 cents and getting all of that, you can go, yeah. well, I can go buy this anthology that gets like six or eight different stories, or I even get this one comic that has this huge story in it that's, you know, epic. It certainly must have taken you away to a different place and a different feel than, uh, you know, than the, I mean, how long does a comic take to read these days? Five minutes, maybe, maybe yeah. six or seven if it's a little wordy. You know, even in the Bronze Age, it took longer than that. Some of those are very wordy, and, and you, but you feel like you're getting more back then. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think the, I think it happened in the '90s, didn't it? Really, where the pendulum swung way too much the other way, where the artists became the rock stars. You had people. I mean, Jim Lee, mm. obviously legend, but you had people like Rob Liefeld, who who were just so different from what had come before and for some reason he, he just hit a, a kind of nerve or, or he hit something and in, in, in the zeitgeist and then it all became about the the artwork and then the stories seemed to suffer a bit and i like kind of how it's reset a little bit because whereas i mean i mean my my favorite you might have heard me say before but you know the the claremont x-men run is still yeah, yeah, yeah. is still the run I go back to, and it's so comfortable to me. I love it. But every issue, we have to learn about how Scott can't control his uh, <laughs> <laughs> his optic glass. You learn about how uh, Wolverine has an ad- adamantium skeleton. You know, you're repeating because, as Stan Lee would say, every comic could be someone's first comic nowadays but that's important that's important though to have comics that are out there where somebody can buy an issue and feel comfortable starting in the middle of a story that's yeah. part of the the text the technique i mean you don't have to you know be ridiculous about it but you know I, what i find is about reading comics from the era you're talking about is that mm-hmm. there's a lot more i guess uh, uh, uh flowery language too where the yeah. writer feels like he's actually trying to write instead of just, you know, not writing anything and just having it all be told in picture or just yeah. the very basics. 
there's actually like in some of these invader stuff uh, we read and Roy Thomas goes a lot of words and sometimes I feel like there may be too many, but mm. a lot of times it's nice to have all that in there. So it's helps set a broader context or what's going on inside a character's mind. Like it can connect you better with uh, the characters often. I mean, you can't always make all those connections simply with facial expressions and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, they, they definitely, at the moment, it seems to be more the artwork. It, it show, don't tell, as Tony would say. Um, mm. But like you say, that I don't know which is better. It's just different, you know, like say yeah. before it's you explain everything. Uh, whereas nowadays, it, not so much. I, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I draw some, so I totally understand the importance of the art and wanting to be able to do the artist is important thing and let the mm -hmm. art tell the story in some cases, but at the same time, there's other ways the the art and the story can interact in which they can complement each other without it, without the words having to necessarily be redundant, mm -hmm. but you feel like there's more to it. You know, Yin, obviously I read a lot of old stuff and I, I never cease to be amazed at how, how much more, uh, developed and uh cutting edge the artwork in the newspaper strips are from this era mm. you know it's i mean all the hard work was done in the newspaper strips and mm -hmm. all these comic artists from the 40s and stuff they were look they were not looking so much at each other as they were looking at alex raymond milton kniff and hal foster and going oh that's how to do it let me see how to do you know what i mean mm. it was all the like, I mean, and the more I, 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 the further down those rabbit holes I go of the, the newspaper strips, the more an awe I am of what they were doing and how incredibly talented they, they were. And just some of it's just, you know, how did they do that? Like, technically, how mm. did they actually have an implement that could create that line on paper? to look like that it's crazy it's uh it's i don't know i find it fascinating so i tend to do a lot of that whereas you know like what the stuff if you compared some of the stuff i've just mentioned to you know what we looked at what we looked at in the golden age for the human torch it looks like a kid's drawings and that's not meant to be any disrespect to anybody mm. but the the difference is is you know is startling when you when you look at it but uh I don't know. I, I think I think there's a something to be learned from all of it, though, and it's important to see where these characters started. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they they may not age the best as far as attitudes or uh, you know people's mindsets at the time, but like you said, it gives you an insight, a snapshot into what the world was like in the 1940s and what yeah. they, uh, what the people, what kids, what kids would be reading and even what adults were thinking about even, you know, because yeah. we get a whole lot of World War II stuff crop up pretty quickly as, uh, as, uh, as the Marvel characters start to get involved in, in World War II once, you know, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it, what I found interesting was, I mean, in the Human Torch comics, we get this Hitler-type character, but they call him, <laughs> and I sent you the picture, didn't I? They call him Hiccup. Hiccup. <laughs> yeah, and then they, he burns off his mustache, and, and, you know, it's all poking a bit of fun. Whereas when you get to the Invaders, then all bets are off because Pearl Harbor has happened, you know, and I... I think i was a bit surprised so that i guess that was years and years later but i was surprised how you know i want to say accurate but you know how real how grounded it was when it was you know referring back to pearl harbor and stuff so yeah i thought that was interesting well it's really interesting uh that you say that because as i'm reading the golden age stuff with I read a Submariner story today in which he slaughters the Japs on Wake Island, which there's it's 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 right out of the newspapers. It's an actual you know place of a of a battle, and Submariner goes in and and does his thing. It's it's the way it's it's directed, and then at the same time I'm reading you know these Invaders comics from the third from the shoot from the 70s that are 30 years past yeah the events but there's still that you know approach to the axis as uh as straight up villains you know there's not much uh gray area no uh, it's like there. star wars isn't it you yeah, know yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then uh at the same time we're constantly hearing all this stuff on uh on the news about the ukraine mm. and I just can't help. My brain just can't help but make some kind of parallel with uh, with that and this that feeling of there's just what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And our news is so immediate in this day and age that it's all on TV, on the internet. We can see it all. Whereas back then they would have been reading about this stuff in the newspaper, hearing a news report. You know, sometimes probably days after it had happened. Mm. Whereas we get. I don't know. There's just a a similar feeling I get it that it felt more familiar in a different way than it should have, I guess. Because in the past, it's always felt that's history. This war happened in the past, but now yeah. I feel like there's something very similar happening right now, and it just sort of it just sort of clicked in a different way. It gave a different sort of insight, I guess, to the the feelings and the emotions that. We get we see displayed in the characters, uh, you know, vitriol for the enemy. You know, yeah. whether it's the the over the top, you know, Nazi, you know, uh, spouting, uh, you know, hatred, or it's the, you know, the righteous indignation from our superheroes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as they go into battle against against the Nazis, or you know, it's I know it's interesting it's i don't know more real than i thought it would be when i did it <laughs> yeah no it is right i mean there's so many things in the world that seem to be going backwards through history isn't it and what what is the adage um those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat are, it i mean yes, it's so exactly. so true so i i'm i i see so my son is is looking to choose his options for school uh -huh. 
And one of them, he, he, you have to, in, in the UK at least, or, or in England, you have to decide, do you want to do geography or history? That Those are two <sighs> options. You, you you do one or the other. And uh, I said, well, you know, I did geography, but I'd, I should have done history. You know, the, I, I just, uh, and so now I find myself as each year goes past, I, I, I want to learn more and more about history. And the more and more I learn about it, it's like, but we're doing the same things. We we know where this goes. This is not a good thing. <laughs> you know? So like you say about the Ukraine, you know, it's uh, it's not it's not it's not a good time. No, no. I mean, you would think that people would know it, know this, but you, you people don't. People don't know their history. They don't they think that this time it's gonna be different. Mm. You know, that's from some movie and I can't remember what oh, it's dead again. You ever seen the movie Dead Again? Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, Andy Garcia. It's no. a, it's a, it's it's about a a, a woman. She's the, Kenneth Branagh's character is a detective. He he's brought to this woman who's doesn't know who she is. Yada yada yada. Turns out it's she's talking about stuff that happened in the past and all this stuff. So there's a, a reincarnation element to it. And one of the lines and it says the thing, and that it says it's like it's all happening again. The same story is playing out again. The only thing is this time they think people think it's going to be different, you know, just suggesting that if you don't know what happened in the past, it's, you're going to do it again. If you can't mm. don't know what happened in order to make the necessary changes, but yeah. it has that feeling to it, but okay. We're getting awfully philosophical now. This is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to get back to where we were. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about, you know, the sort of like a modern sensibility for the torch. Um, that would be a, a great thing to see, you know, in a, in a comic. And I don't mean, you know, let's, you know, a new universe where he's created now, but rather if somebody could take uh, the character and develop the ideas that are on the table we've talked mm -hmm. about and, make him popular and, and big I, I suggested something like what grant morrison did with animal man mm, you know in the yeah, in the yeah. late 80s i feel like there's just enough ideas out there that you could really go with but then you know i think they've i think the vision kind of got a lot of those stories in yeah. the 70s and 80s you know um before we jump there, we have to mention quickly that the the torch was around in the 50s uh, for a few years, and some of those late 40s, early 50s stories are, I think, a little they're obviously less complex. I don't know if you got to read any of those that were in that uh, reprint uh, series from the 70s with Johnny Storm and the Golden Age Human Torch in the same comic, but uh, <laughs> they're just they're much quicker, you know good guy bad guy stop him and that's it a lot of it is gone but over time uh they kept bringing human torch back um his first appearance in the in the proper marvel universe is fantastic four annual number four where uh the mad thinker uh finds his body and reanimates mm, him. yep uh and he's what does he do he convinces him to to fight against Amanda's war and he'll, he'll keep him alive or he'll give him something he needs to stay alive or something. But that's just a one-off that uh, 
is nothing picked up on it again until uh, later on in the seventies when we get the connection to uh, to the vision. Yeah. Do you, do you, what do you? Because and they and they did that and the and that's something that stays with the character through the through the eighties um, as they try to develop who the vision is. You know, is he the golden age human torch or not? And what do you remember about that? Do you remember any about that? growing up or reading comics and no i mean i i didn't really i wasn't aware of all of this going on um at, at the time in the 80s I, I, that was far too sophisticated i, I even if i'd have read those <laughs> comics I, I wouldn't have understood what was going on but it's so it's only years later and you go back and i think honestly i feel slighted i feel like you bastards i like did did they have something against jim hammond you know and the human torch that <laughs> Because that is a, a a good way to truly kill off the character, isn't it? Because everyone comes back in comics, you know, you kill them off and and they they can come back. But with this guy, you know, they they literally turned him into some something else. Now, obviously, years later they retcon it, but you would think you must really want to either just mix up the status quo. You know, so so that again, another Stan Lee thing. He used to say, you know, it's the appearance of, you know, moving things forward, but you, but keeping the status quo. Um, whereas for for this character, that's it. He's gone. You know, because you've you've created him and made something else. And so, yeah, I I still I I feel a little bit sad about that. But I, again, I can't quite remember what they did. But they came back and say, "Oh no, no, it's not, it's not really him," kind of thing. But you know, I, I kind of, I don't, I don't know how to take that. I, I feel like you know, when when that happened, that, that was it. They pretty much killed him off. Yeah, well, there's a storyline in the Avengers uh, that uh, claims that Ultron, uh, who created the Vision, uh, got. The original Human Torch's body after the Mad Thinker was done with it, and yep. it was destroyed then, uh, and repurposed it to build the Vision. Yep. Uh, and that's how it was for a while. So you're thinking that this is actually Jim Hammond, Jim Hammond's body, that's been turned into the uh, uh, the Vision. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's actually. Uh, there was another story uh, in a what if issue that uh, suggests uh, that there was another another android that Horton made called Adam Two, and this is the body that uh, ends up being the Vision, and meaning the Human Torch is actually still out there somewhere. Yeah, and then that's what happened in the. Uh, in the eighties in the West coast Avengers series by uh, when John Byrne was doing it, he, he, he started to, to play with those characters and he was able to bring the golden age human torch back again mm. to where he was actually in the Avengers West coast series for a while as a character that, you know, and he, uh, they end up tying up uh, some loose ends with uh, Toro and Toro's uh, widow because Toro actually dies in Submariner 14 from his uh, Submariner's 1968 series. It starts mm-hmm. after his Tales to Astonish run, 
And then it's issue 14 where Toro comes back and it looks like the golden age human torch is back again. I know yeah. it's Toro. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he ends up dying then. Um, so there's, they, they keep bringing him back and, uh, they keep bringing him, uh, back in different ways. And so he's still, he's still alive as, as part of a, but now he's, he even looks more like an amalgam of, of different robots uh, from mm. the last uh, Invader series. I don't know if you read that. Anytime there's an Invader series, I'll buy it. Yeah, 100%. Um, I don't know if you're still the same way. Yeah, I'm still yeah. the same way. I, you know, so even though it's taking place, you know, in modern times, if you put Golden Age Human Torch and Subby and Captain America in a comic together, I'm going to buy it. Um, no, no ifs, ands, or buts, unless you're going to promise to kill them all or something, then I'm going to make me upset I mean, it's but... a great team and it's the name of a great iron maiden song as well you know you've got to buy it um yeah and uh so so he's still around and it's i i, I guess what is it and you know, i think uh you know those those ideas that they they talked about with the vision seem like they should have been saved for for jim hammond you know does he? I, I saw somewhere in an issue of some comic, a Fantastic Four comic, uh, that it claimed he had a soul. Did you ever hear this? No. Read this no. comic that had a. I didn't either. I couldn't find the reference to it exactly, but it said so. He does have a soul. So there's somehow not just life and a re and an animated body, but a, a spirit too. You know. Yeah. So. I mean, that's interesting. I mean. Uh whether you believe in a soul or whatever but the, the the sense i got when i was reading these stories was that this was consciousness you know yeah, so yeah. this wasn't just animated body parts following a, a set of commands set of programs you know even um you know weirdly i i don't know why but he kind of reminds me a bit of Hal Jordan I, I I think and maybe he had some sort of influence or maybe it's just one of those archetypes but like um Tony and uh I can't remember was it Scott put me on to hard traveling heroes and you know Hal has these particular views and then Green Arrow is uh, sort of challenging those. And then they, it's, it's a great story, but when they have the um, story about the, the disappearing criminals, you know, and he's like, well, screw those guys, you know, they're, they're criminals. And I just sort of think I just got a bit of a Hal Jordan or early, you know, seventies Hal Jordan feel there. But, you know, he, for me, he did have consciousness. So he, he did have his own thoughts. And uh, so for me, that, that kind of made him a person, whether he was made up as a machine or not. Yeah, it's uh, I, the idea that, uh, that there's something artificial that is really life and is really a person and is really and is is just as real as anybody else they played with that with these uh with the vision a lot trying to you know how can he be a parent how can he have a kid with wanda there was stuff and mm. some of the later stuff that suggested that you know jim hammond had uh was fully functional if you will <laughs> all right <laughs> um but he had to he had to eat he had to 
he had to sleep. He had, he was functional. You know, he wasn't just a, uh, you know, a, a robot that could do whatever you yeah. know, without, without that kind of thing. And so I thought, you know, how does, how does this, does he, does he have, a, what kind of emotions does he have? He has friends. Is he able to, you know, be in love? What is it like to be in love with a android and all that kind of thing from the other perspective? And it was just one of those things that just like he stole all those ideas uh, for, for the vision. Like they took his name and his powers. They went with Johnny Storm, but all the interesting psychological stuff got uh, given to the vision. And so yeah. it's probably why the human torch, the golden age human torch has never been able to be uh, pushed as his own character mm. with these ideas because all the best things about him have been taken by other more established and in and important Marvel characters. But how can anything be more important than uh, the first, uh, the first the, character? I mean, the original. Yeah. The original, it, it always bothers me when the original of something gets shortchanged in order to, uh, uh, service some other character or some other concept that it's unrelated to, you know. Uh, I guess he'll always have a place, but he may not always, but he may never be able to achieve the the status he should as as the first. Mm. You know, they say the Fantastic Four is the first family. Spider Man, he's the you know the most popular Marvel character, mm. but you know some ways human torch should be a little bit above all that and you know i don't, it, I don't know i would love to see something happen with that i've got yeah. a lot of great ideas <laughs> <laughs> so so hopefully one day he'll get his due that's all i can say 100 percent. a couple things we should just mention quickly is uh uh, he had a partnership with another character called Sun Girl at one time uh, at the end of the 40s. Uh, Toro just sort of disappeared and uh, didn't come back till the 50s, I believe. Uh, or he might have been in some of the last 40 stories. But they do expand a little bit on Sun Girl in the uh, saga, the original Human Torch series from the 90s. Um, and there's one sort of odd thing about Marvel mystery comics that – I was able to find a little bit more on that I, I wanted to share, and that's the uh, advent of the Marvel Mystery Oil, which is oil. a motor oil product <laughs> for <laughs> motorcycles. Yeah, yeah, it's a true thing. I'm putting the uh, that uh, the link in the notes uh, for anybody that's interested. But just to briefly sum up, in the uh, introduction by Roy Thomas in the Marvel Masterworks collection for the first four issues of Marvel slash Marvel Mystery Comics, um, Roy talks about the, uh, the title change from Marvel Comics from the first issue to all of a sudden Marvel Mystery Comics. Yeah. How small the mystery is added over the comics bit. Uh, and if you read some of these later Marvel comics – when they have the little blurb at the end of the story and catch the human torch and the next issue of Marvel comics, catch the Samaritan, the next issue of Marvel comics, catch the Patriot, the next issue of Marvel comics. It never says Marvel mystery comics. Yeah. It always says Marvel cop. I even saw a house ad for like issue 17. So that's over a year in 
to that run and it still says and they don't even have the mystery on mm. the on the art for the ad and uh so i think roy was trying to decide sideways suggest that maybe martin goodman got some sort of uh kickback for calling it marvel mystery uh to make people associate it with the oil and they would see and it'd just be a name that you would associate even if there's no real connection it's something it's on the brain when you're thinking so if you go to the store to buy your oil it says marvel mr you think oh i've seen that cop or whatever that's all i can think of because i can't (laughs) find any other connection between marvel mystery marvel comics and the marvel mystery oil but i found the website it's it's for motorcycles it started in 1923 i think it said so it's it predates it predates marvel so it wouldn't make any sense for a copyright infringement it would only make sense if it was called marvel mystery and they drop mystery yeah, it doesn't make any yeah. sense to add it. Yeah. And oddly enough, Daring Comics was also named Daring Mystery Comics at one point. Mm-hmm. Same little mystery over the comics. So <laughs> anybody anybody know any more, hit us up somehow. I, I'd like to know more about that. But uh, I mean, the, there's usually – oh, sorry. <laughs> there, there's usually some kind no, of angle with Martin Goodman, wasn't there? I mean, everything was yeah. like <laughs> – for a tax break or something like that you say about you know the the number ones I, I can't remember exactly what it was but there was some reason to not do the number ones and play about with the numbering i think you might have even spoke about it on one of your earlier shows but yeah it, it, it's he seemed like an incredibly savvy business guy you know and if, if you think about I, I always think about like Stan Lee, say. So, so Stan is a little bit infamous for taking credit for other people's ideas, and <laughs> but but for the Fantastic Four, you sort of think, well, he he is the the creator for that. But actually, was he? Because Martin Goodman basically said, "We've got this Justice League thing, you know, make make us a Justice League." So was the original <laughs> idea Stan's or was it Martin Goodman? And and it, you know, it's just little thought experiments I, I run sometimes. Well, uh, the the whole bit with the numbering, it was a purely financial decision because because magazines back then it cost extra to start a new magazine. Mm. Comics that was, it. that was it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it wasn't just, you know, Marvel or Timely, but DC did it. Everybody did it because it was an extra layout of money to start a new title. Yeah. So if you just continued it from a different title and but kept the same numbering, it was considered the same comic yeah, or the same publication. Yeah. So they saved money that way. And the Stan Lee thing, um, I think it's very fair to say that every comic book creator at one point or another has been inspired by somebody else. Everybody's taken something. There's numerous examples of the old comics that I read. I start to see more of them because I read so much old stuff. Mm. And some of the stuff that these guys in the 40s had clipped and saved as kids, um, the the newspaper strips, I'm seeing those very same things. Mm. Um, Just the other day, I I shared in in the on the discord a picture the picture from prince valiant that jack mm. kirby based the look of the demon from yeah it wasn't a case of ooh, what did jack kirby do he was like no that's i got it from this 
this uh, Prince Valiant page. Yeah. Um, but but I think I think that's where you're talking about. You know, those those uh, those original newspaper strip uh, creators. They were they were developing the the vocabulary. They're developing the technique. They were figuring yeah. out how to tell these these stories. And quite honestly, so much of the so many of them were just flat out better draftsmen, mm. better artists, better better storytellers. And so that's who they looked up to. And it's it's no shame in that. Um, and I think it's uh, it's it's obvious that Stan Lee, when Martin Goodman said create the create us a team, mm. he said, Well, let's see who we got. Well, I can we had this human torch character, that's a cool character. We're not doing yeah. anything with him. I can just repurpose him for this. Oh, plastic man. Let's repurpose plastic man's powers yeah. for Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, I don't think yep. it's that big a it's that's obvious that he did that. Now he didn't create the idea of a stretchable hero on his own. He didn't mm. create the idea of a uh uh, flaming hero on his own. I think what Stan Lee should most be remembered for is his business uh, acumen for yeah. making those kinds of decisions, as well as infusing the the humanity into the characters. You know, Jack Kurt or Stan. Oh, Spider-Man. That's a bigger question. There's a lot of people involved with that one. That's, yeah. that's Jack Kirby, <laughs> Joe Simon, C.C. Beck, Steve Ditko, and Stan Lee. There's a lot of yeah. people there. But I think What's undeniable what Stan Lee did was he he was, was something like Spider-Man is and all those Marvel characters. He he made he he brought out the human element. Mm-hmm. And he and he did mature things a bit, you know, because even though there's a lot of the fly in Spider-Man, yeah, it's the human element and that mature the maturity of the character and what happens later on as that character develops over time. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that I think you can point at. Oh, Stanley stole that Stanley borrowed that he swiped that, but you know, he added something very special that was not in comics at the time mm. with that, that made Marvel appeal to older readers. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. He saw that, and then he started to write to that. You know, he he said one of his quotes was, "You know, don't write down to your readers. You know, write yeah. write up to them." And sure enough, because you do that, you get uh, older readers. I mean, hmm. the comic the comic letters pages in those days. You know, you see all these uh, older older readers, college students, and those are the people that stuck with it. You know. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things we, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I get, there's some people think, Oh, he's posting this picture. He's saying so-and-so swipe this. Well, you know, I'm showing you, I, I like <laughs> to share where things came from. And to me, it's really exciting to see something. Oh, wow. Sheldon Maldoff got the cover for all American comics number 16 from a panel of flash Gordon from like seven years earlier. You know, that to me is yeah, yeah. exciting. It's, it's neat. It's a neat connection. And you go, Oh, well, there's no doubt about how great Alex Freeman was. It's no wonder that Moldoff was looking at Alice Raymond, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of stuff happening. It's not like it's uh can't get everything out of whole cloth. I mean, you know, when yeah. when you go to art, when you go to college for art, you're taught to copy, you know, masters, drawings, yeah, yeah. paintings solely to learn the technique and and how to draw something how to see as they saw things so that mm-hmm. you have a another view besides your own of how things look and and that kind of thing so i i don't think 
it should be. If you pass it off, I guess, and you go, no, I didn't look at that. Well, it's the same panel. How did you not? You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody knew they were looking at this stuff. So that's my take on that. But uh, just to be clear, oh gosh, I Dave, love Stanley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think we all love Stanley. I think I think it's just wrong to place him on a pedestal as the one yeah. and only yeah, the yeah, single. Yeah. You know, every if if we you know very little happens on your own unless you write and draw and ink and color and letter and finance and do and publish all by yourself there's it's a team effort that's why there's that's why there's a creator's box for everybody there it's that created by uh thing that is where it gets tricky yeah you know because those are those are law those there's no fly on the wall with a with a zoom with a camera and a you Mm. know a recording mic to get the story of what really happened you know yeah so that's that but uh but Dave, thanks for coming on and and talking Golden Age Human Torch. He's a he's a character I've always I've always loved, and it's nice to know that I'm not the only one, and that uh, <laughs> there's uh, some similar feelings out there for what could be and should or could have been done with the character over the time to- over time. Absolutely, and cheers for having us on. Like I say, you I'm not sure if you were expecting anyone to to put their hand up but as soon as you ask the question i i i don't i'd have to look back but i'm sure it was only a few minutes before i was like oh me me <laughs> yeah it, it was quick because i i posted that and i went to some a different thread and came back and oh there you were so yeah and uh yeah i'm i'm excited about having other people on so you know you can only do it by yourself for so long before you know you you want to talk to other people about it which uh which leads me, of course, to the next episode, and I'm excited to tell everyone that the next episode will feature another guest, uh, Comics and Motion's Mike Burton of Genuine Chit Chat and, of course, uh, Star Wars Comics and Canon. Uh, he's been on a number of shows as a guest, uh, Book Club, Indie Comics Spotlight with Tony, and, of course, uh, like I said, Star Wars Comics and Canon, which he hosts and created. Uh, we're going to be doing a uh, another golden age character, but this time we're going to focus on a specific comic. So it's going to kind of be like a mini book club. It's going to be uh, Daredevil battles Hitler. So I did an episode on the golden age Daredevil uh, episode number three, but Mike's going to join me for this because it's another one of those book length stories from very early, like it's like 1940 or I think, right. and it's the uh, de facto number one for the golden age Daredevil. Uh, uh, series. So he started out in Silver Street Comics, and then he he got this uh, no number issue. Actually, there's no number on it, but it becomes the number one because next is Daredevil Comics number two, and then his series right. runs uh, from that. So Mike's going to join me from that, and I'm really happy to have him on. And uh, thanks so much again, Dave. Before we go, um, tell everybody where we can uh, we can find you on the uh, internet. Or you know your house if they want to come by and have a tea. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do you want from people? Swing by, <laughs> buy me a beer. That would be lovely. So <laughs> most places you can get me. So I, I, the comics, TV, and movies is a little bit on hiatus at the moment just because everything else is so busy. We're doing about ten shows a week with uh, Love Island and Married at First Sight on the reality cast. So that is the, the the thing that's occupying most of my time. But also on the VHS Strikes Back as well. So there we go back to uh, golden era 
home video t- kind of time. So we went back as far as 1963 with Jason and the Argonauts the other week. So that's the oh, furthest wow. we've been back. But generally speaking, it's mostly kind of 80s and 90s movies. So that's a lot of fun there. And how about like Twitter and all that foolishness if you oh, want yeah. people so to if, connect if, with you? If you want, and, and I don't tweet that much anymore because, uh, well, just It's a lot reasons. to keep up with, and there's yeah. just a lot going on. <laughs> but you can get me at Seattle Dojos on Twitter. So I, I do post occasionally, but, you know, it's an array of stuff. I, I like a lot of things a little bit. You know, I know a little about a lot, <laughs> I would say. Well, you certainly uh, shared a lot of insight and uh, and your love for the character uh, today. So I really appreciate you uh, joining me. And I'm sure, like me, you want everybody to start go reading some comics now. Absolutely, and go like especially if you signed up to Marvel Unlimited, you can go there. All the Human Torch stories are there. Uh, I did have to buy. Um, giant size invaders that's not on marvel unlimited for some reason but it's like i'm sure in america it'd be two bucks but um one pound 59 or something it was on on amazon slash comiXology so yeah really good stuff awesome dave we'll uh talk to you again soon i'm sure thanks thank you very much sir bye now (laughs) 